We're doing the, uh, the London Baptist Confession of Faith, and what we're trying, we're going through this, uh, of course, we're going through this whole thing to try to um, uh, we want to ground Christians in the, what we believe doctrinally, uh, and these are some of the foundational truths of Scripture, or doctrine, uh, foundational doctrines of Scripture. And we, um, well, this Bible's heavy, <laughs> push the thing down. Uh, foundational doctrines of Scripture. And what they do is um, uh, they, they give a Christian a chance to be, um, uh, to know in a nutshell what things that we are to believe as, as believers and uh, give us a, a really a good starting point that, to to get our minds in gear and get our minds in line with the word of God so that when we can we can give answers to uh, people that are not saved when they come to us and ask you why do you believe what you believe to be able to take these things and which we're not I'm not I know I'm not I haven't been great at doing this in is sitting down and teaching these things to your children and believe it or not creeds these creeds and these doctrinal statements and things like that used to be a staple in christianity and uh we've gotten far away from all these things and so now we have so much stuff that people run around and believe in uh sounding loud here <laughs> got so much stuff that people run around believing in and um and it's because we really don't people don't have a foundational a foundation as to why we believe what we believe mm-hmm. Uh, there's a famous, there's a famous uh, preacher uh, a long time ago named uh, Dr. Lester Roloff. He used to go. Uh, he's a Baptist, an old Baptist preacher. He's from that, you know, from the hills kind of thing, Texas down in there. And he used to, uh, he said, "God believe, uh, uh, God said it. I believe it. That settles it." And he, and he said, "What's your doctrinal statement?" He goes, "The Bible is my doctrinal statement." Boom. You know. So uh, when I was in college, one of my professors was telling me this story. He says that Lester Roller used to go to jail a lot or go to court and go to jail a lot because he was one of the first uh, 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 Christians that was starting Christian schools. And they made them illegal in Texas to start Christian. You had to have your kid in a public school, but he wouldn't do that. He put kids in, he started Christian schools, a Christian school, and he wanted his kids in Christian. So he said it was his constitutional right to do it. And he was constantly going in and out of jail. And they would <laughs> they'd take him to court and he'd say that, drop the Bible down and said, that's my doctrinal statement. In our, uh, we was in church law and taxes in that in that class, and he and the teacher told us he said you can't do that when you go to court. <laughs> the, the, the judge and them are not going to pick up the word of God and just read through the whole word of God and, and and try to find out all these different things that you believe in. You must come there prepared and have something, you know. And hence why churches have doctrinal statements and things like that that they print out and give out so that so that Christians can have a foundation for why they believe what they believe, to have something they can quickly refer to and refer back to. Well, we're on this one that I really wanted to teach this, this one, and I saw a, I saw a guy, uh, as I was preparing for this and listening to different people um, teach, teach on this, I saw this one guy, uh, I, uh, actually I listened to him last night, and he started out saying, well, on this one, if you notice this, this one is short. And he says, so we won't be, he's, he does a podcast or something. He's like, we won't be spending a lot of time on this. 
because it's it is it's very short. There's only three, you know, they don't, they'll basically only have three points or three paragraph points here. And so this will be a short lesson. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I said, this may be a short lesson. This is, there is so much stuff here. You can preach for years and years and years and years, literally. And I, you know, preachers will say that a lot of times. Well, there's so much stuff here we can, I can spend weeks on it. Literally, you can do that with Genesis. Um, and the reason why we're talking about uh, with creation, and the reason why is creation is foundational. It is one of the pillars of the Christian faith. You start off wrong here, you're going to get the rest of it wrong down the line. You must understand Genesis. You must understand creation before you can really be grounded in your, to be grounded in your Christian faith. You, you got to know it. Uh, I wrote this up here last night. Uh, here, why does anything exist? You ever thought about that? I told my son that, you know, he, he's, he thinks he's really, really smart. He is. He's kind of, he's kind of smart in a lot of areas. And I said, Joshua said, I got something I want you to think about. And I told him this statement. He says, dad, he says, uh, I heard it, but I don't want to think about it today because my mind is tired, <laughs> you know? And so, but why do we, why does anything exist? You ever asked yourself that question? We run around, I exist. Was it, was it Descartes? I think, therefore I am. Why do, I know why I exist, that there's a mom and a dad and I exist. Why do they exist? Why do they exist? You go back and why does anything exist? Why do rocks exist? Why does this podium exist? Why does anything exist? And we can't know that really. And even scientifically, as we're going to find it, you can't really know that except from scripture. Scripture tells us why everything exists. And we're going to get, we're going to uh, see a couple of things here, uh, more than a couple of things here that that hopefully will uh, convince you of this statement. Um, creation, creation had a purpose. I think I'm a little off here. Yeah, I got the wrong person. <laughs> and the purpose of creation uh, that God has given us is so that we can be grounded and we can uh, ground it in our faith and we can know uh, why we exist and why we do what we do. Why, and and uh, so really, so we can know God. We can know who's in control of, uh, of uh, all things uh, in, the, in this world. John MacArthur, I, I heard him and I, I said, I uh, saw a couple of his introductions to a, a thing like that and I liked his introduction. So I want to read his introduction as a, as a really good point to jump off on because he makes some statements here that I thought were were really uh, good. And one of, one of the statements here, when I hit it here is, I had never thought about this before until he said it. Uh, he said, creation, uh, matter of fact, this, this person, creation is a theological issue, not a scientific issue. I said, what? You know, so um, pre-Darwin, pre, -Darwin, pre uh, all the scientific stuff that's, that, you know, when man began to put his trust in science and, and pursue science, people believed in gods, goddesses. 
They believed in something that was out there or someone that was out there that was greater than man. And so when people needed to know where they came from, especially as a Christian, what did you what did Christians refer back to? The word of God. And that's where we're getting a statement from, is that it was a theological issue first before it ever jumped into the realm of science. And that's not totally true neither, because it's not really in the realm of science. Science rejects creationism. So you're not going to go to science to find out about creationism. You're going to have to come to the word of God to find out about creation. All science can do is provide evidence about things. Science is not an end all in everything uh, that we know. And we treat scientists like they're gods right now, or not gods, priests. We treat them like priests nowadays. We refer back to them to try to find out stuff. If the scientists don't know, they got all these degrees and they, and they got all this knowledge in the physics and physics and whatever the different sciences are, they've got to know. And we refer back to their knowledge. The problem when you're doing that though is you're putting your trust in man and their conclusions and their theories to direct your life. But science is not correct all the time. Science is, scientists are wrong many, many, many times. And they're not right. And a lot of times we just kind of go with the flow with them. But anyway, he says, creation is a the theological issue, not a scientific issue. Theology is the only source from which we have any information about creation. Any study of creation must come from the study of theology because it is a word from God. There is no natural or scientific way to explain creation. There is not. No natural or scientific way to explain creation. Creation was a supernatural event orchestrated from the mind of God and spoken into being by the word of God, as we'll see when we get into the verses. That's why. Why does anything exist? at all. If there's no God, why does anything exist? Um, Hebrews 11 verse 3 say, states that by faith we understand that the, that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made out of things that are visible. That what is seen Oh, excuse me, that what it seen was not, that keep those words in there, was not made of things that are visible. God spoke everything into being from nothing. From nothing. And that's what scripture tells us to do. Hebrews is the book, they call it the book of faith. It is a, it is a faith statement. This is a theological statement. This is a theological statement issue. It is not a scientific issue. I'm not saying throw away science. Science has its purpose, but primarily it is not a scientific issue. Um, what's the guy's name? Uh, Stephen Hawkins. He, he believes in, in one of his books, he stated that philosophy should be thrown away. And in philosophy, he groups theology what religions believe. He's a philosophy and all that stuff. He said, that is not a science and it needs to be thrown away. 
And basically what he's telling me is we got to rely upon him and other scientists to teach us what we need to know and what we need to believe. But you'll find that when they argue their points about uh, uh, as to what, whether God exists or not and whether Christianity is true or not, they don't necessarily refer back to scientific things. They use ridicule. Uh, he, uh, which book is that? The, uh, the God Delusion. He wrote, uh, Dawkins wrote, uh, or excuse me, Richard Dawkins wrote that one. The, the God Delusion, he does in his introduction a lot of ridiculing before he starts getting into scientific stuff. And the whole reason to get rid of Christianity and get rid of religion is ridicule them, ridicule them, ridicule them. Now, we put them in our place. Now let's start presenting scientific evidence for why we believe what we believe. Well, Such an arrogance. Right, it, it is. It, it's, it's arrogance. It's saying, trust us. There's a... I, what is oh, this we can't explain name? it, so we'll tell you what, what you need to know. Exactly. There's a black guy named, uh, he's a, a new a new scientist. I'm, I don't know how new he is because I don't follow these guys all the time, but I know he pops up now. You have that, whatever his name, the science guy and all these different people that were in the past. What's the guy, there was a guy that used to do Nobel billions and billions of years ago and people refer to them on TV and stuff for scientific advice. Well, this, there's a black guy that does this now too. And I've seen different things about him and when he get. And he's fascinating when he gets when he starts describing things in science. He he's just really into this. He's fascinated, and he should be. He's talking about and when this happens and that happened and this happened and this is fascinating. How this goes and this does. It. Well, I saw an interview with him the other day with uh, a, a blurb came uh, a soundbite came across, and it had uh, I think the girl's name's Chelsea Handler or whatever. She's interviewing him for something. She asked him point blank. She says, "Do you believe in God?" And he goes. Instead of answering the question directly, he starts explaining at first why other religions believe what they believe. And she says, she finally breaks in and cuts him short and says, that's fine and dandy, but what I asked you was, do you believe in God? And Dean says, let me put it this way. He says, most, most religions teach that God is good. Most religions teach that God is all-powerful. He says, but when I look at a natural disaster that comes in and lots of people die as a result of it and all this, basically all the suffering happens, he said, that tells me that God is not all powerful, nor is God good. And then he moves on. And I'm thinking, you didn't, <laughs> you didn't really answer the question whether you believe in God. Uh, he did in a roundabout way. He's basically saying, no, I don't believe in God, but these are my reasons. But those are not scientific reasons. That's, that's a philosophical statement. He's suffering. And, you, and you'll find that most atheists, their bottom line thing, the reason why they don't believe in God is because of suffering, pain and suffering. If there was a God and he was loving, he would not allow bad things to happen to good people or people, period. One of the things... Problem is they don't understand the doctrine of depravity. <laughs> they don't understand that we have offended a God, a holy God. They don't understand how holy God is. They don't under, and which is what we go through with all these different statements. They do not understand the predicament that we placed ourselves in before a holy God. They don't understand how sinful we really are. We are depraved creatures and we've offended a God. The question isn't why does God not allow, why does God 
doesn't why doesn't God keep bad things from happening to us? The question really is why doesn't God just wipe us all out and send us all to hell? Because that's what we really deserve. We've offended him. We've offended him. You, yes. In a one one sentence, what is the doctrine of depravity? Doctrine of depravity is that man is man has uh sinned against the holy God is God is totally holy. Mm-hmm. When Adam and Eve, and matter of fact, I, that's the part of my lesson. Well, when, when we get, let's say, not next week, do we get the next? I have that one on the fall. When we get to the to the fall, that man is sinned against God. When we Adam bit into that fruit, he brought sin into the world. We became sinful, totally in and out, depraved creatures. Depravity means that we're so dead in sin. And as a matter of fact, the Bible says we are dead in trespassing sin. Dead men do nothing. That we're so dead in sin and we're so depraved that we will not come back to God. We will, we, 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 we're, the Bible says we're his enemies. We reject him and everything that we do, even when we try to do good things, we do it with ulterior motives, bad motives. It is the direct opposite of what God is. That's what depravity is. And we create most of this. We, matter of fact, we created all this. Adam brought all this mess into the world. See, he had, he was in charge of everything. And his sin affected even the earth, the scripture, which the scripture teaches us. It said that groans and travails until God comes and recreates it. And when you get saved, when God, not when you get saved, when God saves you, he puts that thing in you. There's times I say, God, I just can't wait for this to be over, for us to get to heaven and to stop all this, especially when I'm entertaining my own sins. Because as you study scripture, you begin to see yourself more and more and more and more. We like to look at things and say, that person did this and that person did that and that person, you do all of that too. We, The Ten Commandments, we all break the Ten Commandments. I've never killed someone. Have you hated someone? Wish them dead? That's what Jesus said. That comes from the heart. The heart is desperately wicked. That's that depravity. Who can know it? Desperate. So, First um, Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 20 says, O Timothy, Oh, let me back up one. Science is based on the observable, repeatable, fixed natural laws. Therefore, science cannot prove in a laboratory, uh, cannot prove creationism in a laboratory. One can only observe what exists now and theorize about it, but we cannot repeat it. That's why you can't, <coughs> scientists cannot tell you how, they do tell you, but they can't, they don't really know how things begin. It is a one-time repeatable event. Another reason why science cannot, don't have the answers to this is uh, creation was a supernatural event. Miracles are outside the realm of natural events, natural things that we can observe, natural things that we can study. It is outside those events. And so we have to go to the Word of God. We can't go back... Today, I can't go back and find out whether Lazarus, raised, you know, uh, 
and touch Lazarus and say, he, he was raised from the dead and touch Lazarus and feel him and do all that. Back then they could, but I can't go back and do that. That business in the past. The only thing we can study is evidence of things and say, maybe it's pointing to this, maybe it's pointing to that, maybe it's pointing to one of, one of these things. But we cannot, uh, we cannot know these things. Uh, I was going to give a, I was going to do a thing uh, on the, the Big Bang and because they say the Big Bang is a singularity point of in the past where this uh, all the energy in the universe was combined to one area. And I was curious, and I, I looked at something and found out how big was that singularity? Well, I found that they had a couple of answers. One was that it was about as big as a, as a soccer ball, and all the energy was compacted and about as big as a soccer ball, and then boom, it blew up, or about the size of a human body. And now that we don't know this, but that's just, that's the theory about. It. But then, as I was looking at that, another guy goes, another another article guy goes, but we don't believe that anymore. I thought that's what they were still believing. I've been still believing that's what scientists believe about everything. He said, no, forty years ago we gave that up. Forty years ago they believe in in uh, what was the thing called. Um, Oh, there's another word that another term that they believe now that expand expansion. I think it's what it's called something about the universe expanding and some other stuff, and therefore that Big Bang could not be true, and it must be another type of thing. And they, they go through. He goes through this whole thing, and then he turns around. On top of that, he says, "And but we're not even sure if that's the re the reason why everything started." And so when you go look up, they don't know. They're just throwing things out there, get some spaghetti, throw it against the wall and say, if that sticks, we'll go with that for a while. We'll ride that horse for a while. And then if something else comes along, we'll ride another horse and we'll ride another horse. And basically what, what science is trying to do is trying to make theories fit their conclusions. And that's not how science is supposed to work. You're supposed to just look at evidence, look at evidence, look at evidence and let it drive you to a certain conclusion, whether you believe it or not. And the problem is science don't believe in miracles. Miracles can't happen, therefore it's a presupposition. They presuppose that miracles don't happen. So therefore, when evidence points to a miracle, they throw it away and say that can't be it because presuppose miracle. They don't give a scientific reason for that. They just say it can't happen because it's not observable. We can't, we can't study it. We can't bring it into the laboratory and whatever. You're not being a real scientist when you do that. Because science, scientists, science, when it first, they people really first started getting pre-Darwin when they were really into science and all that. Scientists were, a lot of them were Christians, professing Christians. And they were looked into science to find out how God created. They wanted to find out more, use science to find out more about how God did things. They wanted to know more about the God. And they would find something and say, wow, look what God did. Look what God did. Look what God did. Now we're saying, no. Look what nature did. These are natural occurrences. That doesn't explain, explain why nature did that. Right. Because you had something had to occur before that. You know? Right. And you get into that, there's an endless cycle of, of this. Because even if you got the Big Bang or whatever they had back then, where did it come from? And where did that come from? Where, scripture tells us, well, in the beginning, God. Do you think that part of our salvation is actually give, ha having given that knowledge to us so that we, because I've never really thought about this before, but 
because I don't get into the whole the worldly view of it. I just believe God, and I believe God exists in it. He created everything. Of course, of course, that's you know my upbringing from just being in church your whole life, right? Mm -hmm. My question is, is that actually something that we're given a knowledge of that by the Spirit? Yes. Yes. What we're on, and <laughs> that that goes with salvation. Because it is a spirit that rejuvenates. It is a spirit is is the Holy Spirit in Genesis chapter or not John chapter three. Nicodemus come to Christ. He says, "More than not, you must be born again." The spirit blows where it wills. It is a spirit that comes upon us and wakens us up to our unrighteousness and to God's holiness and our need of Christ. And He converts us and changes and brings us to Christ. And that's why when you got people that say they're Christians, but they believe they do other things that are contrary to what a Christian is, then you have a right to say, well, I don't know if that person's a Christian or not. Something's not right here. I heard a bunch of like a bunch of these uh, uh, TV evangelists, Trefo Dollar and Benny Hinn and Creflo and Benny Hinn and some of these guys. I watched a whole little thing of them all talking about we're gods, we're little gods, and you're God. Mm -hmm. That's not scriptural. And they throw they haven't they, they throw enough truth out there, and then they throw a lot of error mixed in with it. They just subtly drop things in there and come up with these statements. God wants you to be rich. God wants you to be prosperous. God, and I'm going, this is, you know. Why, this is why you need to know God. You need to know why you believe what you believe. Uh, the, the Spirit gives us faith that we might believe what God said of Himself and uh, His creation and all the things He's done. What's uh, amazing, while the scientists wouldn't claim that, wouldn't claim so, they would claim that they're everything that they know. But, but atheistic scientists that they um, they have um, they only prove what's fact and what's in the world and you know really in terms of at least creation and maybe some other things their 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 whole system really is in itself a religion because it requires a certain amount of faith to believe in their, their own theories exactly and the problem with that whole system is to approach science that way and uh, claim that they're not religious yet to have try and have faith in something like a big bang or the universe expanding or all these things that we weren't present for and can't observe um, it's a man-made faith and it's shaky and it changes and it's inconsistent uh, where we have a solid foundation in, in God and what he's done in us and for us and what he said about himself, what he has done, what he will do. Right. It's exactly right. It is a religion. Like I said, scientists are really the great high priest of the religion. In pre-Darwin, Man did not have science, those that didn't believe in God, they didn't have any answers to get around creation. So people believed in some form of God or gods or something like that, something supernatural, something happened in the past that created all things. Darwin comes up with, he, he's not the inventor of the theory of evolution, by the way. He's, he's the one that, uh, he, I don't even want to say he's the one that even popularized it. Um, what was his friend's name? Um, I mentioned his name all the time. Um, Huxley. Huxley was the guy that really popularized it. Darwin was really a kind of a recluse 
guy in the guy. What he's really good at, when I, I read this book, this guy goes, it was a little short, short book and I can't, I, I've been trying to find this book. I got it in my stuff somewhere and I can't find it. But it was a little short book just on Darwin and how, how he came to all his conclusions and started all this stuff. This guy does a great job of it. And he mentions that Huxley, uh, that Dar well, he mentioned about Darwin, a lot of his professors, some of them were Christians, some of them were pastors. They warned him over and over and over again not to go down this path. But what they did like about him was he was a very methodical, organized person. He knew how to, he was, he would put rocks in order and these things. And all. He was very good about that. He just had that, you know, most of us would just get bored with that kind of stuff. He would, he was great at putting things in line and line and line and line and line and line. He was just really good with that kind of stuff. And, but they warned him. He picked up this book when he got on that, the SS Beagle, I think that's what it's called, and went down to the Galapagos Island. He was going to read this book. A pastor friend, friend, professor of his told him, he says, look, there's some good stuff in this book. There's some, he said, there's some evolutionary principles in the book. He said, you need to avoid that. Don't get hung up on that. And he gets down there and find the finches and all that little stuff and that, all these different animals. And, and he uh, draws out all these things and start putting these things in these different kind, this kind of lineage of animals and creatures and everything. Embrace that thing and comes back and he's just writing. It, it was years before it, his doctrines got out there. Huxley took that doctrine and took it. He said, "I would be his mouthpiece," and he literally said that he would go out and ridicule when he gets up there with other science, reputable scientists, and they got to debate the theory of evolution. He's going to ridicule them into their into a corner. And then get up and present his stuff, which is what's been going on since then. Now that they found a way to get rid of God, duh, let's push this. Let's push evolution. And there are Christian or there are non-Christian scientists that don't believe in evolution. You don't hear about them a lot, but there's reputable non-Christian scientists that don't believe in evolution, but they don't embrace Christianity either. There's been a few that have gotten saved though but many of them don't embrace Christianity. It's still dangerous. You don't embrace Christ. That is, you're talking your eternal soul. You're talking your eternal soul, but so they look for something else. But um, let's get back to getting our lesson. Oh, someone read that number one in creation, the in the beginning part there. Do you have that? You have a book thing here. In the beginning, it, it pleased God the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness to create or make the world and all things therein, whether visible or invisible, in the space of six days, and all uh, where, and all very good. All very good. In the beginning, Genesis 1-1 says, God. Creation had a beginning in time, and time had a beginning. Imagine if that was a, this whole board was represented eternity. Time comes into time comes into the picture somewhere in eternity. Time had a beginning somewhere here. Time had a beginning, and the scripture tells us that time has an end. Time is a temporal. Thing. It's not. It's not going to be here forever. Eternity exists outside of time. Time exists within that, and God exists 
God is eternal. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. This, that word God there, in, in that matter of fact, is, El, is the word Elohim. And it is a singular word in English, but, is also, but it has a plural ending in it in the Hebrew. This is the singular plural God. We're talking so about the Trinity. Excuse me? What are you saying is significant to that? Is that okay? Yes. Let me, let me show you a couple of verses. God talks about himself sometimes in the singular, and sometimes he talks about himself in the plural. And it is, what it is, the doctrine of the Trinity, what I'm, what I'm hitting at, okay. it is, uh, I'm going to show here, that the doctrine, the doctrine of the Trinity, the, or the Trinity, had their hands in creation. Mm. So when we say God created that word is Elohim. It's a singular word with a plural ending, like we put the S at the end of a word. Yeah. And it almost like it's God's, but it's not talking about a plurality of gods. We're talking one God in three persons is what, it, what that word is trying to, what the word is trying to tell you who God is. It's, uh, but um, let, me, let me say, um, do what you here. Um, it please, uh, what's the word we had? What's the verse that you put in there? John chapter one, verses two and three. Uh, it says in, in your notes there, here's the, uh, in, well, Genesis 1, 1, we got the father creating, and there's other verses that go along with the father as, as creator. But John chapter one, verses two and three says, he was in the beginning with God, talking about Christ. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Talking about Christ. <clears throat> Bible says in the beginning God created. John chapter 1 says Jesus created. He was in the beginning with God and nothing was made without him. That he that he created. It's uh, another verse to have here. Uh, Hebrews verse 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, it says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So once again, you got the son there. Um, give me another one here. We've got Hebrews. Let's see which one's there. Oh, here's one with the Holy Spirit. Job, in Job chapter 26, verse 13. By his wind, the Holy Spirit is identified as the wind. Like I said, in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus comes, Jesus said, the wind blows where it wills. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And you do not know the sound thereof. Uh, and it says, the uh, what's that? Job 26, 13. By his wind, the heavens were made fair, his hand piercing the fleeting uh, serpent. Um. Your, your question, look at verse Genesis 1, verse 26. You, you have your Bible with you? Okay. Genesis 1, verse 26 says this. If uh, In chapter 1, you go down there. God has done all this creating. And he gets down to verse 26, and an interesting thing happens. Remember, we're talking about a singular God, God singular with the plural ending. This, this may answer the question because it blows your mind when you get to that verse. It says in verse 26, <coughs> Then God... Singular said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Who's he talking to? 
Not angels. Nowhere in scripture says angels were made in the image of God. It says man was. Does not say angel, that angels were. Angels are individual beings. There's no two angels that are the same. And yet there's some people estimate there's trillions of angelic beings. They're all individuals. One reason God did not, Christ, Christ did not die for angels is in order to save the angels, the fallen, the, the angels that follow Lucifer and all the, the, they say a third of the angels that fell with him, he would have to die for Lucifer, be resurrected, then he had to come back and die again for another angel, be resurrected, die again for another angel, be resurrected, die again for, because they don't have a representative. Don't have federal headship. Right. Man does. The first Adam. The Bible calls Jesus in Romans the second Adam. He accomplished what the first Adam failed to do. Had Adam never bitten to that fruit, as we'll find out in a couple of weeks, we would never sin. We would have never sinned. Every all his <coughs> progeny after him, Adam and Eve, every child that would have been born on this earth from that time until now, all of them would have been alive. By the way, none of them would have died. They would have been able to eat of the tree of life. And God kept them from that. We'll find out in a couple of weeks. God kept them from the tree of life. We would all have eternal life. But they sinned. And our federal head brought sin into the world, into himself. And when he had children, his children, the, the sin seed comes through us men. Where, therefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for that all have sin. We get it from him. But that was interesting that God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Who's he talking to? It's the Trinity. The Trinity discussing amongst themselves. Um, there was another verse. It's in Genesis chapter three. I can't. I don't know where it is. I can't find it in my notes right now. But God, it, He does the same thing in Genesis chapter three. God says, "Man has become." Uh, I think it says, "Man has become like one of us," or something. Like he used the, that same plural wording again when He's talking about Adam and Eve. He said, "We need to kick them out of the Garden of Eden so that so that they oh so that they won't become like one of us eternal." in their sin. He didn't want them to be eternal in their sin. And so it was a act of grace to kick them out of that garden, by the way. Uh, why did God create all things? Why did God create things that allow suffering and sin and all this stuff come into play and come into being? And to answer that, 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 that Christian, oh, not Christian, that, that atheistic scientist that said, well, because of suffering and all that stuff. Let, let me tell you something about God, the doctrine of God. God must be who he is. God is God. God cannot not be who he is. He can't stop being who he is. It's in his DNA, if you will. <laughs> he doesn't have DNA like us, but he cannot, he must be all who he is. You are who you are as an individual. Nothing's going to ever change that. You are you've got your DNA. You are your parents. You are your parents' child. No matter what you do, good or bad, they can't get rid of you. But you act a certain way. 
And you do, there's certain things that when we look at people, we say, oh, this is, uh, this is Dr. Stack. He's a doctor. He does this. He does that. He talks like this. He looks like this. He walks like this. He has this kind of a temperament. There's things about him that is him and, and who we are. And we're going to act out of who and what we are. Orange trees produce oranges. Apple trees produce apples. Lions kill other animals for food. They don't care. They see it that around and they're hungry. They kill. That's just what they do. God, when you know, when you study the doctrines of God, and you find God has all that. He's a God of love. He's got a wrath. He's got a mercy. He's got a judgment. He's got a peace. He got a, and he goes on and on. All these things. How can God love if He has nothing to bestow love upon? God could just stand there and say, I'm God, I'm God, I'm God. I love, I do this, I do that. I'm justice, I'm peace, I'm merciful. I'm... But who understands that? Who would understand? Any of his creation, how would they understand those words? They just must see it in action. You go out in the, in the, in the dating scene and girls fall prey to these predatory men that I love you. I love you. I love you. If you love me, the guy will say, you will sleep with me. I love you. Well, what if I said no? Would you still love me? Well, no. If you love me, you will sleep with me. No. You, if you really love me, you'll respect my wishes. You'll respect me. Look at the actions of what people do. With our politicians, it's, it's, Clearly seen with all these politicians today. They say one thing and do another. Or the false preachers <coughs> say one thing, or what's the verse that the Bible said? They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And they say one thing and they go around and do the opposite. We call those hypocrites. God is not a hypocrite. And by the way, there's things God can't do. God can't lie, God can't sin. God can't make a rock bigger than he is that he can't lift it. No, God is bound by his attributes. He is who he is. So in order to love, he must have something in. He love, He is. God is love. He must have been able to bestow that attribute upon something unloving. The most unloving thing in, in creation was that us depraved creatures. There's another preacher preached a sermon called Those Lusting at Angels. And it was all about how the, the, there's a verse in the Bible that said those, the angels uh, look, desire, and look into the things of, in God's creation, look, into, look at us and say, look at these people. They got, they got, that person got saved. They got God's love bestowed. They don't, they don't, uh, the point that God's preacher was making was they don't understand that what salvation is. They can't understand it. It's something that they've never experienced, but we have. And there's that Christian song that says, you, you can know, I can tell you all these things about Christianity and whatever, but you'll never know. A line in the song goes, but you'll never know until it happens to you. We can talk about Christianity. We can tell them about Christianity. That's why we can only give people an answer as to why we believe what we believe, why we act the way we act, and why we do what we do. You'll never understand it. Don't expect the world to understand Christianity and understand your belief in creation and any of that stuff because they're not regenerate. They're not saved. 
they don't they can't understand it. They're they're spiritually blind, blinded by Satan. They don't understand. They can't. And that's why it takes the whole we couldn't. That's why the whole spirit, wake up. I was in the boys club, minding my own business, waiting for candy at the end of the Bible story thing. And bam, God saved me. Woke me up to my sinfulness and his holiness and my need of him. Something you said earlier, just a real quick question about that. You mentioned that really um, God doesn't really have the same. But okay, actually, let me word it a different way. You said that basically we don't necessarily have the same genetic structure as God, but He does say that we are made in His image and His likeness. I'm wondering if if it said if it suggests that He really is that we are made. By saying that we are made in his image and his likeness, are we really saying he has DNA? No, he's not talking about physically. Okay. We don't physically look like it. God is a spirit, the Bible says. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and spirit and truth. He's talking about a connection, a relationship connection. There's things about God. God loves, God creates, God um uh what some things um God speaks we have some of these attributes that god have that makes us different from the rest of his creation matter of fact um in genesis verse in in chapter one uh let's say one two three four five six times god goes down there and goes well actually five five times after he creates i think this is good this is good this is good this is good and after he creates adam and eve he said this is very good when he creates his creation, then he then he rests. That mean he go he went to sleep. It's as simple as he stopped doing what he was doing. He didn't get exhausted. God can't get exhausted. But it was very good. We were the, we were this crowning achievement of his creation. We were created for him. And we're created in his image so that we can have a relationship with him. Scripture says in in um, it's Hebrews that Jesus was the express image of Christ. That is different. We're in the image of God. Jesus was the express image of God. What it's saying there is all the attributes of God the Father, God the Holy Spirit was in Christ. Once again, it's saying he was God. We don't have, we're not eternal. We're not all powerful. We're not all knowing. Those We don't have every attribute of God, but we do know things. We can think, we can learn, we can do things that God does, but not to the degree in which he does. And with these things, we can use these attributes that God has put in us that are these this image that he stamped on us so that we can connect with him. And that's what it's talking about with that, that image. Um, Another thing we need to look at here, it says uh, he created, um, let's see, in that, in that both vis, uh, he made all things both visible and invisible. That's one reason I put this up here too, is the Bible says in Colossians that through Christ, by him, all things consist, or all things, that's in the King James, but the other versions say all things are held together, ESV. Held together. I was, I asked Ramona, we, uh, my wife and I was looking up 
And then I said, what is the, she, she's, a, she's taking uh, classes to uh, be a teacher and all that. And she was looking at, uh, in her science stuff, it was talking about atoms. And atoms have protons, neutrons, electrons in them. And I thought, well, is there something, because people used to think the smallest thing was an atom. Then they found there was proton, neutron scientists that, that's in there. And then is there something smaller than that? Well, they have a thing called a quark. They're saying it's the smallest thing that actually holding those together. And then what was the other one? I saw something. I, I meant to look it up, but I didn't, I didn't look it up. There was another one that glutons, I think is what it's called. Now there's something now to call a gluton. I said, it must, I, I wanted to look it up because I said, there's the word glue in there. It must mean glue, hold together, whatever. Why are things, why, why are, uh, uh, atoms and all that stuff are, are very unstable things. <laughs> you know, you put the right heat to them, boom. You get the atomic bomb and that kind of stuff. We are held together by atoms and protons and neut neutrons and, and nucleonic quarks. Yeah. Glutons and whatever those things are and all that stuff and quarks. But what's holding that together? What's holding that together? What's holding that together? The Bible says God did this in by uh, uh, out of nothing, ex nihilo. Out of nothing, God created. He spoke it with his word in the power of his word out of nothing. Uh, that that first one said, and we're running out of time here. He also he talking about six days. Everything was very good. I believe in a sick, literal six day. There are some Christians debate whether it's six days, billions of years, and there's a they talk about things like the gap theory, the day age theory. Gap gap theory was there's a God created, and then there was a gap in between that something chaotic, this chaotic thing happened, and then God had to recreate again, and and they're trying to work. There were some Christians panic when scientists start coming up with theory of evolution and carbon dating and all the stuff, and they panic and that's we got to work Christianity. We know the Bible is true, so it must be in the Bible. So they force some scriptures <coughs> to conform to what science. No, 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 no. When you read that, he says the morning and the evening was the first day. The morning and the evening. The morning and the evening. He's God is talking about literal days. And then, but you got people that debate whether how long those days. A day with the Lord is a thousand. A day. It, there's a scripture verse that says a day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And so they, well, they, even then, that's only seven. If it was done. Each day is a thousand. That was six thousand years of creation. Then, you know, so that that kind of thing. I um, I believe in in when, when you read the scriptures and the people that wrote it back in the, the day, they were not into all of the science and all this stuff. They were they were thinking six literal days, and if God can turn water into wine, Christ did it just like that. Why does He have to take billions of years? to start a process and, and get it going. He can, he raised Lazarus from the dead, didn't wait billions of years to do so. You know, so uh, God is all part. And if he spoke the world out of nothing anyway, <laughs> boom, there it is. Boom, there's this, and boom. And you think of all the powerful things, the sun and the quasars and the pulsars and the black holes and, and all the, the comets and all this stuff stuff and these phenomena all over the outside, you know, in space and universe and on this planet, the volcanoes and all that stuff. He just spoke it into existence. That's power. I have no problems with a six days creation for God. Uh, 
Number two, just so we can finish here. After God had made all his creature, his creatures, he created man, male, and female. Uh-oh. That is a big one today. Matter of fact, Genesis, the book of Genesis, almost every doctrine, almost everything that's wrong with the world today is found in Genesis. Almost every doctrine you can find in scripture is found in Genesis. This doctrine of, is about the first. First murder, first sin, first polygamy. First thing that dies, God's the first one that kills an animal to reclothe Adam and Eve. You got redemption there. You got total depravity there. And God created man, male and female. He did not make she he's and he she's. And I'm not saying that in a derogatory term. In our day and age, we got all this. Now, scientists. They asked the new Supreme Court justice, can you define what a woman is? She says, I am not a biologist. What that have to do with anything? <laughs> I have to be, defer to a biologist to understand <coughs> what a male and a female is. Most of the stuff that's happened in the world today is an attack work, Genesis, evolution, attack on Genesis. It's an attack on God. We get rid of that. And by the way, the, you know why we're not, they want to get rid of Genesis in the beginning, God? Accountability. Once you acknowledge God did it, he's the creator, then you have to acknowledge God is sovereign. God defines what love is, not us. Who said love means that you don't allow bad things to happen to people? Who? That's a man-made definition. That's not scripture. God uses bad things to accomplish good things, or what we call catastrophes and evil. And th God uses all those things. He's so sovereignly in control. He uses everything, the good and the bad, to still accomplish a good thing in the end, accomplish his will. He's in control. And once you acknowledge that as God, all this bad science goes out the window. You have to say man is accountable to God. You have to say man is a moral being because God is a moral being. God establishes what is, what is moral and not moral, and we have to go to him for answers. That's why. Let's attack that. Get rid of God. You can have a male. And you can morph into a female. I'm a male, and now I'm a female today. I'm a female, and now I'm a male. I am, what's the transitionary person that's both all those? You know, you got all this. They're messing with your minds and people. We let them do it. You can educate an imbecile. You, you know that? You can be an educated imbecile. And I guarantee you, a lot of these people at the very top that's pushing this stuff, they don't believe that mess. They're using that to control people. See, there's no God. We can recreate and eat in ourselves in this, in this world. Uh, so we got to get ready to go, though. Uh, I didn't get to these those other points. God... Uh, God made all his creatures. He created a male and female with uh, reasonable, more, more uh, immortal souls. It means we have the ability to reason. Although after the fall, we have the ability to reason in the wrong way too. So we can't rely, our reasoning is not our, we can't always go based totally on our reasoning because our reasoning can be flawed. And so, um, 
we've been created in the image of God in knowledge, righteousness, true holiness. We have the law of God written upon our hearts. That's another thing. There's really no true thing such thing as an atheist. God has written himself on our heart. People, we, we know there's someone in something greater than us outside of ourselves. Man grows up and rejects the knowledge. God has said he's done in his creation. God has put it on our conscience. God has displayed himself through the express image and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can go through historical evidence to say Christ lived. Scientists do believe that was a Jesus Christ. But did he do his miracles? But we can look at evidence and all that through a poly, Christian apologetics. I'll listen to find out, yep, he did this, he did that, he did this. These things must be true if we just follow the evidence. God has not left, the scripture says that, God has not left himself without a witness. Therefore, there's no excuse. Right. And we change the image of God in the all these things, birds, four-footed bees, creeping things, scientific, whatever. We change God. We try to, yeah. but it doesn't work. So, but because uh, besides the law being written on their heart, they received the command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good, uh, uh, knowledge of good and evil, which while they kept, they were happy in their communion with God and had dominion over the creatures. In a couple of weeks, we're going to we're going to talk about that. We're going to get into that. What after God created man and everything, it was perfect. It was good. We break God's rules. The covenant of work God says, keep the garden, eat of all the trees, but one. That's my cup. Don't eat of that tree. And the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. And that's a spiritual death, a spiritual separation. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you've created all things and made us the way we are. That you made us, scripture says, and not we ourselves. Man works hard today at trying to recreate in our minds a human image of themselves apart from who you are. And we can't do that. Because truth is what it is, truth. And when we leave the foundations of your truth, we go off into all kinds of craziness and imbecilities and, and embrace all kinds of nonsense. And the pressure is on in the world today to embrace nonsense, nonsensical things we know that aren't true. And unfortunately, many are shaken because they want to go with the crowd. And you tell us that we need to stand with you and stand with your truth and preach it in, in season and out of season. Be consistent, be steady, be steadfast in our love and our trust in your word and what you said and what you'll do. It's the only thing that keeps us sane. So God gives us that grace. Open up the minds of your children. Help us to embrace your truth and realize it is by reading and studying your word and putting it into practice as best we can in our lives. It is what keeps us stable and help us to endure and go through this life because life is hard. We do look forward to that day when you come. We see the writing on the wall that that day will be soon. How soon? We don't know, but it will be soon. 
And we look forward to the day we'll be seated at the table with our creator and eat and fellowship with you for all eternity. In Christ's name, amen.